Hi everyone! Thank you for joining us! This is... Are, Are these books, books drunk? drunk? Yeah! Oh, with that one! <laughs> I'm Brandy! I'm Emma, and I'm Mariana. This is your book club with a twist, and we are your happy hour girlfriends. This month, we're reading the alluring nonfiction novel Three Women by Lisa Tadeo. Yowza! <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> Last Thursday. Maybe I should just leave it there. <laughs> Why not, huh? <laughs> okay. Enough said. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Maggie, Lena, and Sloane have most definitely made us three women go deep into stigmatized topics that more often than not happen to all women or at the very least to women we know mm-hmm. we've only caressed the surface of each of their stories oh. <laughs> and can already relate to so much dj ems kept <laughs> us on her toes wiki wiki <laughs> wiki <laughs> while our matriarch brandy guided us to our happy place <laughs> And I asked us what we women really want. Yes. To be completely honest, all I want right now is a seductively intoxicating cocktail oh. with our possibly scandalous chit-chat, Emma. Oh, okay. Damn. <laughs> Today's cocktail <laughs> is another special recipe created just for us three women and all you listeners, by our amazing bartender. It's a twist on the cocktail Sex on the Beach. Since there are no beaches in the story, so far at least, our cocktail is named Sex in the Woods. Ooh. Yeah. Fitting for the landscapes that are painted for us by our author of where these ladies, for the most part, live. Here to share the recipe for this boozy imbibement is our beautiful bartender, Ricardo! Ricardo! Ciao ragazze, welcome to the bar. Hi! How are you? Fantastic. Great! How are you? Good, thanks for asking. Are you ready for some sex in the wood? Yes, oh, yeah. my goodness. Perfect. So the idea of this cocktail started, of course, from the idea of the sex of the be- on the beach. Mm-hmm. It's not appropriate for this time of the year, so neither the ingredients of the original recipe of the sex of the on the beach. So I tried to find something that could taste a little festive, a little fall. So the ingredients for these cocktails are two ounces of whiskey. You can use rye whiskey, bourbon, or scotch. I'm actually using Jura 16 years. It's a very nice Ooh. brand and a very nice uh, scotch. One ounce and a half of unfiltered apple juice, half of an ounce of Angostura bitter, a quarter of an ounce of maple syrup, and a little dash of cinnamon powder. Don't forget the sweetness. Yes. I mean, <laughs> if... If I have to be honest, like in the batch that I did the, the first time I, I put it and in the second one I didn't and it's not that much of a difference. You can have a, you can have it a little me a, a little uh, diversity in the density of the cocktail. 
because oh, okay. of the the maple syrup. The maple make syrup make it a little bit more dense. The recipe is pretty easy. You put all the ingredients in the shaker with ice. You shake it and you strain over ice in a long glass with a straw, Brandy, for you. Ooh, <laughs> thank you for that. <laughs> it is such a beautiful color. It's nice, and it tastes just like Christmas. Perfect. Like when I took a sip of it, I was like, oh, it's a holiday cocktail. It's Perfect. so good. That was that was the objective. So yeah. Well, you nailed it. Good. Yeah. I mean, you pretty much always nail it, but this was spot on. <laughs> you nailed that sex oh. in the woods, Ricardo. <laughs> <laughs> I did. Uh, oh okay. boy. <laughs> Alla vostra salute, ragazzi. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Ciao, Ricardo. Thank Ciao. you. Thanks so much. Before he, started, he continued getting more and more red, he was like, okay, <laughs> bye. He's the color of the cocktail by yeah. the end of it. <laughs> All right, chicas. Cheers. Salute. Bitters. Bitters. It's so good. But, you know, I thought the bitters were going to be a lot, and I don't. I don't think they're too much. You like it? You like this? I do. I woods? think it's perfect. It actually, is and really it's good. Beautiful, just like our beautiful bartender. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the color is really it nice. It is beautiful. It's so actually. different. Yeah. It's a holiday color, but it's also like a blushing color. Ooh, um, you know, like what this book did to me, at least. <laughs> I know. Oh, and to me. Every time I'm reading it, I'm like, I gotta, <laughs> I gotta cool off for a second. Especially in these chapters. Yeah. Hey, oh my Ma. God. I know. I can't. Okay. I Tell can't us about, about it, Brandy. Yeah. Okay. Hit it. So this week, Lena is all grown up now. She's a mother of two and wife to a man who refuses to give her the one thing she really wants kissing. When her years of pleas to her husband go unmet, she rekindles an old flame, that old high school boyfriend we met, Aiden, and she inwardly gives Ed an ultimatum, three months to show affection. If he doesn't, she'll ask for a separation. Back from the break, Maggie and Aaron's texting intensifies after he invites her to meet him at a bookstore one afternoon. Texting turns into secretly talking and eventually sexual intimacy at his house in the car and even in the classroom I fucking know. gross <laughs> but when maggie breaks cardinal rule number one she's not allowed to text him first ever aaron's wife apparently sees the text and he calls the whole thing off and we take a look back into sloan's childhood losing her virginity the gradual disintegration of her relationship with her brother and the genesis of her eating disorder. Mm. Ooh, so much. So, so much. So much. In these chapters. So these chapters start, we started with Lena's story. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. she's in that women's group. But I thought it was really interesting in all of the chapters, but especially huh. in this little discussion group circle. Mm. How much judging. Judgment. Uh I, oh my yeah. god. Mm. But I wasn't it surprised was by any of it, sadly. No. No, no, I wasn't either. Definitely not. The first moment that I picked up on was when that woman April is talking about her boyfriend and she shows the other women a picture of him. Mm-hmm. 
And it turns out that he's attractive. Mm. And the writer notes that all of the women kind of look at April a little differently mm-hmm. now that they see she's got this attractive boyfriend. And I thought that was such an interesting thing because mm. also Maggie later talks about Aaron being attractive and how the fact that he finds her attractive, she feels that elevates her mm. a little bit. And mm. I found that so honest and truthful and I get it and I felt it, but it's so fucking gross. Yeah. Too. Gross. Superficiality at his finest. I mean, I'll say that I've had a lot of boys slash men in my life, uh, a lot of relationships, and I feel like I've been judged a lot for having, for rarely being alone. I mean, I did go through a period in my life where I was single for like three years, Mm -hmm. but aside from that, I was usually often with someone and... I I could feel a lot of times people that have known me for a long time were like, oh, another guy or another boyfriend or you're always dating someone. And I started to kind of like not want to talk about those relationships because I felt like they were jealous probably um, Mm. and therefore judging me for it. And it it wasn't a topic that I like to bring up, even with good friends. Yeah, it's really interesting in this in. This section that we read, I feel like there are so many different kinds of judgment going on and judgment coming from like all directions. Mm -hmm. April talks about her boyfriend's mom. April notes that her boyfriend's mother never lets her forget that she has a past. Like whatever that, like don't we all. But she's like judging her for the type of woman that she is. And then Maggie judges Aaron's wife without ever having met her. Mm -hmm. She makes all of these snap judgments about what Aaron's wife must be like. Mm. And then the one that broke my heart the most was when Lena's son brings home the cookie that's actually an invitation to the birthday party. party. And Lena's like, oh, isn't that nice? (laughs) Cole's mom is so organized. And she's judging Cole's mom for like this really nice thing, a birthday invitation. And I thought that was so interesting because it ma- it's something that makes Lena, f- she's judging that mom, but it's also something that makes Lena almost feel bad about herself that mm-hmm. she sees this cute thing that somebody's made and somehow she takes that as a negative about herself. Do you think it's maybe because she kind of resents herself in a way that she can't live up to that, that she can't do that, that she doesn't have the lifestyle that she would want to be as organized to be able to create such a birthday card? Well, even though it does seem, though, that she is super clean around the house. I mean, she actually has all of the time. She she upkeeps the home very well. Right. But she doesn't enjoy it. Right. That's that's a huge distinction. I mean, I was actually going to ask if if you think that women constantly judge each other out of is it all or usually out of jealousy? I initially because I when I was reading specifically that page when she's she just when Lena just announced that she was having an affair at that group. Mm -hmm. And then there's a list of how these other women could have reacted or maybe how they were reacting. The thought bubbles popping up. And I immediately was like, yeah, this is all about judgment and envy. This Mm -hmm. is why women have difficult times keeping relationships with women because there's always this immediate reaction or you sense this immediate reaction from someone else. So like Emma, you you don't want to 
express how you're really feeling or sharing a new relationship that you have because you're already afraid that they're going to react not the way that you want them to react. But then there was another quote that I wanted to bring up that uh, Lisa writes, maybe it's because women are often better at handling the endings than the beginnings. Lena, mm. Lena understands that some women, like her mother and sister, truly care for other women only when that woman is in pain, especially uh. in a kind of pain that they have already felt and then overcome. Mm. Yeah. So it, then it started making me think. Initially, it could be out of envy and jealousy, but then there's also like the reactions that happen from these women that then they kind of are sympathetic to the other woman mm -hmm. just that they don't necessarily know how to react because they see themselves in that other woman but it's hard to kind of let those guards down and react in an empathetic way you're just sympathizing with the other woman but as the woman sharing the story you don't know where it's necessarily coming from i mean i i thought that moment was really interesting when lena finally admits to this group that she's having an affair And the thing I thought was most interesting about it was that there's this initial moment where everybody's silent and they're clearly all judging her for having this affair when she's married and the guy is married. And then they all lean in and they want to hear the story. And I thought that was fascinating because it seems like a really Christian community. Mm -hmm. Lena herself is Catholic. Like right. there's kind of a it's mentioned a lot that it's a very sort of religious area. And I think a lot of this judgment comes from a place of fear. Mm -hmm. It's so instilled in these women that, like, even if your marriage is miserable, even if you're miserable, you don't, don't call cheat. Her outside the lines. And you don't leave, mm -hmm. for sure. Yeah. Like, it's just accepted that you're miserable. So I found it really fascinating that these women judge her, but then they're like, living vicariously through her right. because I think on some level they've all thought about it even if they're not going to sure. act on it they've all thought about doing it or wished or fantasized that they could do it they're just not doing it maybe it, it, but wouldn't it be so much easier to just think before you react like if those women would have like thawed a little bit through instead of reacting because they want they do lean in But mm -hmm. there's there's still that judgment that's kind of overpowering them, or at least that's what Lena senses when she's telling the story. So wouldn't it be easier to just like take it in, take a moment and kind of reflect on the fact, let me put myself in the, this other woman's shoes for a second instead of having a facial, a facial expression reacting to that or saying something that might be off-putting? Does that make sense? Yes, it would be easier, but... <laughs> I think so rarely do we do that. Do we do that? I find that I'm really quick to show my emotion on my face Same. before I realize it, which is something I'm working Me too. <laughs> I don't hide very well. I'm the same way. I think also, though, in some of these like smaller, more like insular communities, I think people are so terrified, like you said, Emma, to like go outside the lines at all because... I mean, as Lena learned in high school real quick, once they've judged you as bad or mm. wrong or whatever, you're an outcast forever. Yeah, like, And who forever. knows what that means for your children and your family? You know what I mean? These communities are so small sometimes and their beliefs are also similar that if you're somebody who lives outside of that, mm -hmm. you know, it's it could potentially be kind of a dangerous situation. Right. This leads me to a question because... 
Lena ends up defying all societal ideals for where she's at in Indiana. And this happens after three consecutive months, like you mentioned, Brandy, in your yeah. synopsis, following 11 years of dissatisfaction, of not being French kissed, not yeah. pretty much not being touched, made love to, fucked by her one and only husband. At this point, that's when she considers this to be the last straw and ultimately ask Ed for that separation. I'm not sure you guys are willing to answer this, but it did make me think when I was reading further into Lena's story. And I don't even know if I should ask. You should always ask. Okay. <laughs> yeah, you can ask. <laughs> Lena's adulthood and her love-hate relationship story made me think of this particular question. What would be your last straw? What would make you say enough is enough, knowing that the three of us are in marital relationships? When would enough be enough for either of you? Chicas? Damn, that's a hard question. I feel a little weird saying this because obviously there are things within marriage that you're expected, you know, like cheating. There are things that you're expected not to do. And mm. it's expected that if you went outside the confines of those, you know, parameters, it's over. I think it's different with Jason. I think in past relationships, if that shit had gone down, yeah, absolutely, that would have been a deal breaker. Mm. But like I'm married now and I'm married to a very specific person. Mm. And I don't know that anything could happen that my first reaction wouldn't be to just fight tooth and nail mm. to the fucking bitter end to save it. Mm. Like no matter what. Mm. So I, I guess my answer is like it would have to get pretty freaking bleak for for me to finally just be like I can't do this anymore. I can't do this anymore. Mm. It would take a lot. I feel really similarly to that, which is funny because I would have said well cheating. Mm. Yeah. Because I was in a really long-term relationship and that mm. was my final straw. Mm. And but that's complicated too because as soon as I found out, I didn't even try to save it. I was just like, mm. I'm done. But it, done. it but it wasn't just it wasn't just the unfaithfulness. It was everything that that came with. You know, like knowing that he had been talking about terrible things behind my back to his friends and yeah. joking about it and making light of it. That was actually more the final straw than the than the physical intimacy. How interesting. Mm. Um, because then it was just, well, I'll never have that trust back. Yep. But even still, after the fact, after I broke up with him, I kept thinking, well, you know, that his unfaithfulness came from a place of him being unhappy in our relationship. And, and we've touched on this before, but then I started to think, well, what could I have done or what did I do? And maybe I wasn't as perfect. Mm. Good for you that I, you started analyzing yourself. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, a lot. And Because at first I just made myself the victim. And then mm. I realized it takes two. And there were probably yeah. a lot of things that he had been expressing to me that he was unhappy with that I was shut down to or I wasn't open to. And then I realized, yeah, I did. You know, I wasn't really fair to him in a lot of those aspects. Do I think it warrants cheating on me? No. Of course not. But it did kind of like change the light in which I looked at the situation. Yeah. But similarly to you, I feel the same way with Ricardo. I think for me, the final straw would be, like you said, really bleak. It would have to be like violence towards mm -hmm. me or our children. I think uh. that would be really hard to... Yeah. To overcome, because that's that's yeah. a different kind of darkness. 
Yeah. Than what's between us. I think that makes it more personal in terms of what's going on with them. That would be hard to come out on top of. Mm-hmm. I, I do agree with both of you ladies on the fact that things have to be very bleak for for me to decide that, you know, this is the end. Because I've spent so much of my life already, my adult life with my husband, that it would really take a lot because we've yeah. worked through a lot already. We've gone through our ups and downs. I mean, we're going on 10 years this May of being oh married. Oh, amazing. But then being We've together. Amazing. 10 years married. 16 years together in wow, May. Wow, Mariana. So it's a really, Lord. I mean, that's what I'm saying. It's my my whole adult life, pretty much. Yeah. So, but reading Lena's, her recounting her story and what she's gone through with Ed, the notion that she's not getting what she really wants from her significant other and that she sees that day in and day out, it becomes this monotonous routine where she's mm-hmm. not being fulfilled at all or satisfied. And I'm not even talking sexually because this is more about intimacy and mm-hmm. sharing that love yeah. with one another. Like mm-hmm. she's being rejected. She's being ignored. Repeatedly. Repeatedly. Not kissing is. That's, yeah. that's, that's really sad. It's, it's another level. Yes. Yeah. So there's just nothing there. The love is non-existent. She says yeah. that she would walk around like naked and he wouldn't even like look up from reading his magazine. He would just be drinking yeah. beers with his buddies. <laughs> right. So I, can, I can't blame her for getting to that place of just being mm-hmm. like, I can't do oh, this anymore. Yeah, absolutely not. Yeah. So it's hard to say. I think it all depends on what stage you are in your relationship. And if you're not able to vocalize that and work through that, there's a point in time where that, the, as minimum as it sounds for someone else... That could be sufficient for mm-hmm. that individual to be like, I'm, I can't be, I'm rejected constantly. Yeah. I can't. I mean, it has to be a situation where both partners are willing to see the problem right. and look at it yes. and work on it together. And unfortunately for her, Ed is, nah. he's not he's only not is doing he shut work. down, their fucking therapist <gasps> gave oh, him an initiative that. to be like, they you should don't be have fired. to do you don't want to do. Who the hell is this therapist? I was so infuriated. Ooh, that made me so mad. I know. I cannot imagine not being kissed for three months by my partner. And, that and is, it sounds like it's been longer for her. Right. She's, she's yeah, yeah, put yeah. this ultimatum on the last drop. It sounds like it's been. Yeah. Mm-hmm. French kiss. She hadn't been French kissed in 11 years. <laughs> That's like a <sighs> crazy long time. Cannot. That leads me to this quote that I really, really liked that I really, it felt abstract, but I really understood it. She writes, real men, guys from Backwoods, Maine, and the tough zones of Philly and the rusty thickets of southern Indiana. They love women and sex, and as strong as they are, they can be swayed a centimeter or two by pussy. The other kind of men, the men who make up most of the world, they'll be dirtier once they get a woman in a bedroom. I understood that quote better than I wish that I did. I just, I don't know, I think there is... That distinction of men, like, makes sense to me. And it reminds me of when Lena's having sex with Aiden for the first time and she's on her period and she's like, oh, he's mm-hmm. willing to have sex with me while I'm on my period. I think it's it's that, you know, there's like this. Yeah. Some men just like women and women's bodies and aren't as delicate about um, 
all of the the dirty stuff that comes with not the dirty stuff that comes with it, but the the natural the stuff. human the natural stuff, stuff. Yeah. exactly. They just they idolize women and their bodies in a different way than the men that look at women and women's bodies as two separate identities. I think yes. that's really what that is. Yep. And I know both kinds of men. One thing I wanted to bring up about Lena that we sort of started to touch on last episode uh, was this horrible, essentially gang rape moment that she left us with Mm -hmm. in high school. Mm -hmm. And one of the quotes that just gutted me in this section is she says, the rumors were that I'd slept with three guys in one night. And the truth of it is these guys put something in my drink and raped me one after the other. Mm -hmm. To be honest, I didn't know that was the truth until years later. Mm -hmm. And then she says she understands they were kids and they have probably changed now. She says it doesn't really bother me anymore. We all grow up anyhow. We all become different people. The level of denial Mm. (laughs) this woman breaks my heart so much. Mm -hmm. But like, of course, we all know it's so common in survivors of sexual assault. Either they don't want to be that, quote unquote, weak, dumb girl who let this happen to her or they're ashamed or they're scared they won't be believed, which we see happen over and over and over again. She says she didn't know that was the truth until years later. And I just wasn't sure. Does that mean she just kept rationalizing it to herself by saying things like she didn't want to say no because she just wanted to be liked? I remember that was a point of contention for us a little bit last episode. And it was something that hadn't rung true for me. Does she just not want to admit to herself the truth of what happened? She seems in denial about who these boys are and who they've grown up to be. She calls them kids as if that makes it okay. Mm-hmm. It just seems like she's she's made herself so small by saying this horrible thing happened, but it doesn't matter. They're probably they're probably great guys now. Mm-hmm. Which is probably the opposite of the truth. Mm-hmm. To me, it feels like Lena is constantly looking for in search of love. Mm-hmm. And anything that takes her away from receiving love or receiving being approved of by others, she will decide yeah. to go on that path Yeah, that will make it easier for her to at least be liked. And I think that yeah. is part of like that's what is kind of building that that sense of denial or just overshadowing the fact of what actually happened. Yeah, I'm, I'm like, I don't know that I want to speak on that because I don't want to say what I think it is. And it could be so different because I've never been in that position. So I just don't know what happens to you emotionally and mentally after something that terrible. Yeah. So I think it could be any of those things. But I don't want to I don't want to guess like what it was because I and I do I think it changes case by case, person by person. Totally. Absolutely. Before we move on, one quote that I wanted to add to this that kind of relates to this because Lisa quotes Lena in saying, some women want careers as much as or more than they want love. But all Lena has ever wanted is to be fully in love and forever partnered like a penguin. I know. I love March of the Penguins. Oh, my God, oh my you do. <laughs> I immediately thought that. I was, yeah, just like, I was oh like, I get it. I get it. I also thought how tragic. She's 32 years, years old. old. And she feels What do you mean? Like, like she's, she's too young to feel like this? 
well, she's too young to feel like this, but that's also, a, that's so long to feel like you've never oh. had love. Like you've never shared that with somebody. Well, except that's, for Aiden. And that, I think that that was reciprocated. No? I don't you know. You think that, that was, was too recipro- superficial because they were too young? They were so young and also like the reason she accepted this boy's invitation to the party where this horrible thing happens to her in the first place was because his, uh, Aiden's interest was waning. She mm-hmm. said he hadn't contacted her in a few days oh, and she yeah. was kind of annoyed by that. So like, I sort of feel like, and I want to talk about this a little bit more later, but I think Lena then and maybe even now has invested more in that relationship on her end than mm-hmm. maybe he is actually feeling mm-hmm. for her. I do think whatever she's feeling is real. Like I, I think of he's course. he's there for her in a way that she needs in this exact moment. You know what I mean? So I'm not trying to paint him as a bad guy or anything. I just think I don't think he's as in it mm-hmm. as she is. One of my favorite moments in this whole chapter on Lena was one that's seemingly really small and seemingly so insignificant. But she's talking about how she lived an entire lifetime between her first kiss with Aiden back when she was a teenager and this kiss with Aiden. You know, she talks about she got married and had two kids and had the dog. But the detail of that she has peeled 4,000 garlic cloves. For some reason, that detail stabbed me in the heart. It's just that that remembrance that the everyday mundane activities really, that's what builds your your life and your (laughs) Mm -hmm. personhood. And Mm -hmm. the fact that she has... She's boiled her life down to how many garlic cloves she's peeled and how many floors she's cleaned and how many dinosaur yeah. chicken nuggets she's cooked. You know, those are the little things, but they ultimately make up who, your life. And, and her portrait yeah. of her life just seems so unfulfilled that I'm I was really excited when she gets with Aiden. Like she I'm I like, know. she's finally getting it. Too. My favorite quote from that section is when she finally does the deed with Aiden. And uh, the quote is, it goes on for a long while and she loses her self-consciousness, not completely, but enough to enjoy sex for the first real time ever. Mm. She's 32. So this made me wonder. I want to get to the dirty details. Uh (laughs) We all pretty much admitted in our last episode that we faked orgasms before. I think probably most women have. But I want to (laughs) know... I'm chugging my drink right now. (laughs) Me too, me too, me too. (laughs) I want to know, how long after you started having sex, did you have your first real orgasm and or enjoy sex for the first real time ever? And were you faking it the rest of the time before that? Why did you fake it? And what do you think it took to finally enjoy it? (laughs) Get it, Mariana. Jump in. Yeah, you start, you start. (laughs) Oh, boy. This is pretty. I'm dirty. not drunk enough for this Jeez. yet. Jesus, I'm getting there. Brandy this drink Bravo. Is wow. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. So, first thinking about this, I don't really remember my first one with a partner. I'm trying mm. to like think. Your first yeah. orgasm or your first sex? No, my first orgasm. Your first sex. with a partner. My oh, first okay, sex. okay. Yeah, but then I'm also thinking that because. I don't think I've ever actually faked it 
per se. What? Really? Wow. Not to say that I orgasm all the time. But You've I never, never faked an orgasm? But I never like, if I if I don't come, I'm not going to be like, oh my God, I'm coming. You've yeah. never pretended that you I have had one. Uh, wow. Really? I'm so impressed by that. Me too. And maybe it's because I'm selfish in bed. I don't know. But I like don't <laughs> no. feel like <laughs> I need to like make the wow. partner feel. But I think this is like coming from the Mariana in her 30s that I don't need mm. to make my partner feel like he's less inadequate do you, does that make sense yeah like yes. I don't need to make him feel like oh good for me You're that I did man. it yeah yeah <laughs> good for you now that we're talking about this I remember how much pleasure I used to get with my El Salvadorian boyfriend that we talked that I once mentioned he was the nephew of one of my mom's really close friends who came to visit us from El Salvador and not necessarily doing the deed but just I think as a 15-year-old, you just let yourself go and take the risk and the whole like sneaking around and you just feel a lot more mm -hmm. or you allow mm -hmm. yourself to feel a lot more without having that inner chatter mm -hmm. that I think as an, old, as an older woman, because there's so much going on in your life or like yeah. that whole like that risk factor or... And you guys don't have to agree with me on this, but I think like I, I'm definitely a much more thought processed female right now than before. Before I was just like, definitely, sure, I'm going to go for it and see what happens. And this is really arousing me and we're going to go for it. Yeah. And I think as an as now that I've been in a marriage for so long, I, I feel that the enjoyment out of sex and getting to that place of climax is when you really can trust someone and you feel yeah. safe with someone mm -hmm. that all of those yeah. inhibitions kind of like go and it's the two of you together as one and that's what makes that special and that's where pleasure is like the most pleasurable it could ever be mm. Does that answer your question? You sound like you were super confident I about know. sex that are really young age. <laughs> I'm like, oh, I don't want to go now. I know. <laughs> Same. <laughs> go, Emma. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm having such a hard time figuring out how to answer this question. I think also in part because I don't remember... Totally. Necessarily like my first real orgasm with a partner, do you know? Um, yeah. But unlike unlike you, Mariana, I, I'm not going to try to make come up with like a number or a percentage, but I'd say prior to now, probably half of my orgasms were faked, at least. Yeah, that sounds right to me. I mean, I was with guys for months and faked it, which is... I'm so embarrassed to admit that now, and I'm so upset that that's true, because now I would know to not do... Well, you know, I say now I would know to not do that, but I wonder if that's true. I wonder if I were with a different partner, if actually, like, I would. Yeah. <laughs> that's your um, you're, you're with someone who you can be honest with. Yes. But yeah. that's not true right. for everyone. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I would like to believe that now in my 30s... And being a stronger woman than I definitely was before, I would like to think that I would know to speak up and, and just admit if it wasn't happening or if I wasn't enjoying it. But I don't know that I would because I still do have that complex. 
I'm going to tie it back to the book to take it off myself for a second. But Elena's <laughs> no. sneaky bitch. Well, because. DJ Ebbs, no. <laughs> yes, I can, I'm, I'm not changing tunes. I'm playing the same track, just a different verse of the track. Lena's hormone doctor says to her, you come from a place where women are taught that their only real value is what they can do for someone else. And Mm -hmm. that's not necessarily true for me. I don't come from a, like I wasn't raised that way. I don't come, I said in the last episode, I was really fortunate enough to be raised by very strong women uh, who would not have had this point of view. But I, I think it's one of the really tricky parts about being a woman is like it's scary to tell someone that they're not doing it for you or that you're that they're not good enough, you know? So I yeah, I'm curious what that would be like now. I think for all the reasons I just said, I faked it all the time because I just didn't want to speak up if it was something I wasn't enjoying or I just wanted it to end and I yeah. <laughs> just wanted it to be over <laughs> with. Um and I think what what it took to finally enjoy it was having a partner that I really trust, that I feel like I can be super honest with, mm-hmm. and that I genuinely felt liked every aspect of me in every situation. Oh, mm-hmm. and probably a piece of it too is like you've grown into yourself. I looked this up a bit. What women in their 40s, after they yes. turn 40, is when they actually start feeling satisfied. With I've sex. heard that. Mm-hmm. When you are mature and experienced and know what you want and are willing to say what you want, you're at a place yeah. where you are really coming into your own. So it mm-hmm. takes that long to find that. Okay, Brandy, you're on. You're on base. <sighs> um, yeah, I I have to say I haven't had a lot of sexual relationships. Like I'm pretty conservative in that uh, realm, hmm. but. I think I, so I'm trying to think my very first boyfriend, the first guy that I slept with was difficult. I definitely like came close a lot of times, but would stop myself because it felt like I didn't quite understand what was happening or what was supposed to happen. And I remember saying to him once, like, no, I have to stop because I feel like I'm going to pee. And I remember him saying, oh. no, that's what it's supposed to, that's fine. Like, that's what it's supposed to feel like. And oh. I was like, what? That's crazy. And I was like, no, I yeah, have there's to stop no this way. immediately. <laughs> this is not happening. So it, there was a, a period of time where I just didn't, I didn't actually know what was supposed to happen. And so I would stop things when they stopped feeling, quote unquote, normal, mm. even though those things were actually normal, normal <laughs> right. or natural things yeah. to be feeling. Um, so then after that, I had another, I had a, a couple of, you know, sort of boyfriends or whatever. And I faked it. I mean, for years, for years, I don't think I actually started like regularly having orgasms during sex until I was probably like in my mid twenties. And I would, I would either fake it or they wouldn't ask and I wouldn't volunteer the information. Mm-hmm. And I think it did just come from a the, the things that were happening were enjoyable enough for me. Mm-hmm. You guys know me. I'm not somebody who likes to be out of control in any situation. <laughs> so in some ways, that was like a very comfortable place for me right. to like mm-hmm. 
Mm. B, where nothing's out of control. Things are enjoyable enough. Like, it's fine. And then I think once I was finally with somebody who I could sort of trust and who was a little bit probably more skilled than the people I had been with (laughs) before, I think once I started to experience that on a regular basis, then I sort of got to a place where it was like, okay, not only is this normal, not only is this natural, I like it. Mm. It's okay for me to like it. And it's okay for me to like, I don't want to say expect it. I don't think a guy is like responsible for my orgasm. Like that's not. I agree. Well, yes and no. (laughs) I think I'm as much a participant in that in he uh, as he is. Yeah. Uh huh. After hearing this, I'm gonna ask you two later to give me your best uh, Meg Ryan in the diner. (laughs) I'm kidding. I will not. There are not enough cocktails for me to do that. I need another one for that one. At least two, three more. No. What a question, Brandy. Someday I'll catch you there. (laughs) Oh, now my drink is almost gone (laughs) because I drank it so fast. (laughs) In preparation for that question. (laughs) All right. Well, since this is fun, I want to jump straight into another personal question. It's a little less raunchy. But still. (laughs) I bring the raunch. That's me. (laughs) Thank you, Brandy. So I'm fascinated by these old traditions that have been forced upon women from getting married to having babies. These rituals such as like bridal showers and baby showers. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that stemmed from a time when women were the keepers of the house and the Mm -hmm. sole caretaker of the child that have made it into our contemporary society. I don't know about you two, but I was cringing when I was reading the description of the bachelorette party that Lena was a part of. Yep. From the chicken lettuce wraps and the sweet (laughs) white wine at P.F. Chang's to the penis hats and one shoulder shirts over volcano drinks at a bar. I mean, those details. Yeah, those are gold. I knew exactly what this was. If I'm being really honest... It's how I feel when at baby showers, we play the guess the poopy diaper game, which is really chocolate in a diaper. Have you ever done that one? Nope. Ladies? Mm -hmm. Nope. Or we drink mocktails out of little plastic baby bottles. Oh. Gross. I I, I genuinely don't want to offend anyone who may have had these experiences and loved them. I want to be careful about that. Yeah. But there is something so fake to me about it all now. And I felt myself going on a deep journey with this as I've gotten older and I've attended more and more of these. Mm -hmm. So I'm curious about both of your views on this cult that has been created for just women, just women. So I want to know, do you two think that we should continue with all the same traditions and rituals that have been passed down to us gals? Do you love it? Do you find them cringeworthy? Do you think this is a dumb question and I just rambled for too long again? <laughs> All of the above. Okay, yeah. great. <laughs> totally kidding. So. Okay, Emma, now I feel awful. Oh. Because oh. I brought penis glow sticks to your bachelorette okay. party. No. And okay. Boas. That's not the same. Okay, not it's the not the same. Thing. And I, d- I don't want to be a hypocrite, but I... When I say this, I mean my bachelorette party was genuinely one of the best nights of my life. It was. And yes, did it have like stereotypical bachelorette party events? Yes. And I loved every minute of it. Okay. So I'll preface this by saying maybe I feel this way because I haven't had a baby shower, but 
I did opt to not have a bridal shower because I was like, that's not my tune. But don't you dare for a second think that any second of my bachelorette party wasn't the highlight of my life. Well, because the thing is, I like I physically brought the penis glow sticks, <laughs> so that I was like, and oh, I no. still have them. You guys both know I had a a, a pretty non traditional wedding right. because I felt like wedding a wedding wasn't for me. Mm-hmm. Like I just didn't have any interest in that for a multitude of reasons. Mm-hmm. You both did have beautiful weddings that were more on the traditional side. So I think with all of these things. At least, at least for me, it really comes down to what you personally feel in that moment and what you want. And I do think it's important for women to ask themselves, like, why do I want this? Do I want the big wedding? Because I think it's a fairy tale. And this is, you know, what I've imagined my whole life. Or do I want a big wedding because I want my entire family to see me make vows to this person? Right. There are a lot of different answers. So I think we all need to examine why we want the things that we want. But ultimately, I think if it's what we want, it's what we want. And if you want to have a fucking baby shower where I've got to smell chocolate poop in a diaper, (laughs) I will do that for you. And I will smile. Right. But not if you make me drink a fucking mocktail (laughs) out of a bottle. There better be vodka in it. You're just going to have to bring a flask. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> we would be those women at the baby we shower would. with a flask on like on a garter belt under our <laughs> passing it back and forth <laughs> not they now would, it's COVID they would put us in our own table and we would be like cheers <laughs> the outcast table yeah. <laughs> I mean So I do agree with you 100%, Brandy. Like every woman has to find it within themselves, whether or not this is something that they want. Aside from tradition, it's like, and we should preface that by saying every person, because Uh, obviously it's not just marriages between men and women. Absolutely, you know, true. But I do think, sorry, but I do think that it's women that are targeted with all of this. A hundred percent, and I think that's ludicrous. A hundred percent. Okay, sorry. Continue. I actually love these traditions because I've loved them. Granted, yeah. I've never been, to, well, not to say never been to a baby shower, but as an adult, I haven't, because most of my friends either live in New York or in the entertainment industry, haven't had babies yet. Or So right. it's very hard for me to say like what I would feel going to a baby shower. I remember as like an adolescent going to my mom's friends or like, you know, older right. friend, friends of family, like it was a different story. I... For some reason, those moments in my life have never felt superficial to me because mm. there's been other moments in my life that have felt very superficial to me. But mm-hmm. the, yeah. those moments, I was like, this is my time. If mm. these friends want to celebrate me, I'm going to be there and have my moment and relish in it yeah. as opposed to overthinking the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Like I actually had two bachelorette parties, which was like amazing oh, fun. I had one in New York and one in Miami my mom Aww. was my maid of honor which I don't know if you guys oh knew God. this That's I love that so, so much well actually she was my matron of honor and I had my maid of honor my uh, Sarah Dallas who was uh, one of my Aww. former college roommates as my That's maid of so honor so cute so my mom did a kick ass bachelorette body in Miami <laughs> oh she not my only God, got us like footage of this <laughs> 
<laughs> so long ago. No, um, there was we had like the limousine party bus. We went to a male strip club with some of my aunts and my mom. Like it was it, mom. Oh my God. And it was so funny. Like me and my girlfriends were all like, oh, my God. And my mom and my aunts were like <laughs> living her best yeah. life. Oh, that's so fun. <laughs> but the cool thing is that there was also like a little twist on the tradition because at the end of the night, because Andrew had also flown down with me, my dad planned a bachelorette bachelor party for him with his like Aww. guy friends here and with my dad's Aww. friends and like family. <sighs> So they like were drinking it up at home and then they also took like a party bus to a, a club in South Beach where we all got together and we like celebrated oh, the night I away. Oh, I love that That's so much. so nice. And also for my bridal shower, the same thing. My dad and Andrew showed up to my bridal shower. So it was never about like just, it was like, I got to celebrate me at that moment, but then they, mm. he had to be a part of it because I would never want It was wanted... about both of you. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So it's like how Aww. you how you live it up and also how you put in what you want. Like you put in your mm. little twist yeah. to that. Yeah. yeah. Totally. Yeah. That makes me so sad because I was thinking about well, I think you, you said it so well, Brandy, when you said you have to ask yourself if it's what you want or if it's what you think you want or yeah. right. something to that effect. No, because... you actually just said it better than I said it. <laughs> yes, that is what I meant. Guys, I said it a lot better as I'm drinking. Because <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I get caught up in that so often. You know, I decided that like the night before our wedding, Ricardo and I had to sleep in separate homes because that's the tradition that you you don't spend the night before together and then you don't see each other until the wedding. But right. then when I woke up by myself on my wedding morning, I was like, this sucks. Like, I would much rather have woken up with him. And I was like, that's so yeah. stupid that I gave into that because I thought, well, that's what you do. Like, I didn't have to do that. I could have very well you know, spend the night with my husband, who I'm already living with. Like, that's right. an outdated tradition that I did well, not need the to jig keep. is up. You're living together. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. The jig is up. And I did wear white, and we were not virgins on our right. wedding night. So It's funny yeah. that you say that because I had planned to stay at the suite with my, with my maid of honor, my friends, and Andrew was going to stay in our hotel room, in our suite. Mm-hmm. That night, I, like, had, like, a breakdown because I was so overwhelmed about everything that was happening. The wedding oh. was happening the next day. Aww. Like, I was a little drunk, too, because we had, like, an amazing, like, rehearsal dinner. And then, like, the party afterwards was awesome. But I was, like, <laughs> exhausted. Aww. Yeah. <laughs> and so my mom, again, I'm bringing up my mom, I guess, because I'm right now with my parents that, like, <laughs> all these stories are coming up. My mom was like, you need to go and spend the night with your future husband Wake up Aww. with him, enjoy this moment, and forget about everything else. So because of her, Aww. we actually got to wake up the morning of our wedding and be like, hey, we're doing I this. I love that she knew that about you. Yeah. She knew that I didn't care about all this other stuff, that I just needed to be with him and yeah. really focus on what was Aww. important. Can we talk about Maggie? Yeah. I kind of don't want to, but yeah, I guess we have to. I feel like there's so much to talk about. I mean, Lena, we had a lot to say about because we actually had two Lena chapters. That's the thing. And we only got one Maggie one and one Sloan. Sloan. 
in this section. That's the thing. The first thing that really struck me about Maggie was that I think it's really interesting that in her own way, she already seems really aware of the disparity between her place in this new relationship and Aaron's place in it. During what she later refers to as their first date, he's reading the back cover of Freakonomics at that bookstore he's invited her to, which Maggie describes as enviable behavior that he can be that he can keep other information in his brain beyond the ah of love crush (laughs) means he's already and forever the alpha of their Mm. arrangement. And I thought. You know, we spent some time last week talking about, like, her relationship with Mateo. Was it inappropriate? Was it fine because she was 16 and in Hawaii that's the age? And obviously that's not the case where she is now in Fargo. She is underage. She is her teacher. But in this little sentence, I was like, this girl knows that this guy has a power over her she's aware of the fact that they're not on the same level oh yeah did you guys get that yeah totally she's aware of it but i also feel like then she should have known it was a red flag that if you don't feel good enough for your partner you shouldn't be there in the first place and he's going to take advantage of you but she's too young to figure that out at the time i feel like and Mm. i also don't think it's a question of whether or not she feels good enough for him i think in this section she's acknowledging that like He's older than her. Like she, it's something she's attracted to. Mm-hmm. The fact that he's older than her. She says he's top she- top shelf, top shelf, right? Which she does say makes her feel a little bit better about herself yeah. that he would be into her. I don't know. I just thought when she says he's already and forever the alpha of their arrangement yeah. in what she's describing as their first date, I was like, girl, like this is. This is so uneven, and I think you know it. Yeah. You just don't want to know it. Well, I think she probably has dad problems. Not a very good relationship with him. I think that he wasn't a fabulous patriarchal figure. Mm -hmm. So I think it's pretty common. Although she does say that the relationship between her mom and dad, I mean, they clearly have their issues with alcohol, but she does describe their relationship as being pretty solid. Yeah, that that her relationship with Aaron wouldn't live up to their her parents' expectations. Right, right, right. That's true. But it is interesting that she keeps finding herself in this situation with an older man. I just... This is the second time. I just have a very difficult time, again, knowing that Erin is her teacher. And yes, she might know that she might feel proud of the fact or very enticed by the notion that he is older and that he is wiser and that he has lived life but there's a part of me that keeps thinking this man is taking advantage of this oh oh my god yes and there was a part of me that also thought that he might have done this before because the way he was like dangling the carrot saying we're not gonna have sex intercourse until you're 18 right right but then i want you to kiss me like you told me that you wanted to kiss like all this stuff that he was like it feels practice it feels practiced Mm. completely well on that note one of the things i kept reading in the negative reviews about this book Mm. i've I've read this multiple times now that it's disgusting softcore porn Mm. And Maggie's chapter, it's pretty explicit in yeah. its details, which does feel completely disgusting because we're talking about, like you said, Mariana, we're talking about an adult man, mm-hmm. a teacher with his very vulnerable student. Mm-hmm. 
And I've read a lot of similar stuff recently. Have you guys watched that FX show, A Teacher? Mm-mm. No. Really? It's with Kate Mara. Really? Uh, and the, oh, and the that's actor new, from, isn't it? Didn't that just come it's out? It's newish. Yeah. It's the actor from Love, Simon. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So delightful. Yeah. But so it's about a female teacher who's having a sexual relationship with a male huh. student. And it's really troubling on both accounts because it's so explicitly sexual. And it's it's titillating. Mm. And it's intriguing material to a certain degree. But obviously, there is this disgusting, grimy element to it. He's a minor. She's a minor. Mm. But what I think is so, so, so important about shows like this and stories like Mm. this, because a lot of the reviews that I read were saying, like, don't read this. This is trash, whatever. Mm. I think what's so important about this stuff is that it can teach us so much about the warning signs to look out for about grooming, which is exactly what you're talking about, Mariana. It's exactly what Aaron is doing to Maggie. He targeted her. That's the first first stage. He's targeting her as a potential victim when he reads that letter where she admits that she's fallen victim to another, a different older Mm -hmm. man. Right. And she tells him how everybody shuns her now, which means he'll have an easy time getting her to trust him. Mm -hmm. And that's step two. He gains her trust... By taking it slowly with her, they're just talking, but then he feels a need, which is step three, by letting her know that she's attractive to him. Mm -hmm. He wants her, even if nobody else does. Mm -hmm. And then step four, he isolates her from everybody else by telling her that obviously she can't tell anyone about their relationship. It's secret. And he lays down all these ground rules for their contact, which if she doesn't follow, it means that Maggie will lose the only person who accepts her, understands her, knows her, loves her. She'll lose this person who's become so important to her. And then just as she's starting to vaguely lose interest in their connection, he starts the sexual side of their relationship and he uses that to control her. This quote in particular really pissed me off. Maggie wants to do everything to preserve the relationship. She feels it's up to her. She tries not to tempt him. She tries not to remind him of his badness, to remind him that she's underage. It's her job to be fun, friendly, happy, and also troubled enough by her parents' alcoholism that he can be a savior Mm -hmm. over text or voice, whichever is more manageable that day. Mm She's just completely at his beck and call, at his whim, whenever he's groomed her. Yeah. While you were saying all this, I was just thinking about like, she even says that there was the, there were all these mandates. Like there were all these things that she was, Mm -hmm. man, dates, man, man, dates. (laughs) But she was also enticed by the idea that it was forbidden love. So from her Mm -hmm, perspective, mm -hmm. it was like this forbidden love. If we're right. talking about his perspective, he was telling her exactly what he wanted, which included wearing mm. sweatpants only, which is Gross. the idea of isolation, uh. like not being or not wearing perfume. Well, because he doesn't want his wife smelling her on uh-huh. him. And he wants the easy, the she, easy access. says it herself. He wants the Ugh. easy access. So of the disgusting. Sweatpants. So disgusting. Gross. So disgusting. The one thing I did want to like make sure that I mentioned Towards the end of Maggie's chapter, he was like, I mean, according to her of what he had said, the things that he liked about her and things that she did. He mentioned how she would cross her legs in the classroom with a childlike zeal. A true pedophile. For me right there was like, this is... Well, and he also makes mention of like her small hands. Like that's a thing too, how small her hands are. 
And and also Brandy, when you were mentioning about how like she kind of knew, even though there were these all these red flags, and now reading this, we're like, oh my god, didn't you see all this happening? Her first orgasm, which yet it wasn't penetration, it was oral. Oral, yeah. Mm-hmm. She said that right afterwards she felt cold about it and she didn't feel the way that she felt with her other partners. So I think that there was a part of her that knew that this was not right. This is not right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I have to say, I didn't take a single note for Maggie because I've just read the whole thing with my jaw open. <laughs> it was a hard chapter. It was a, it was a hard chapter. And it's and it, it's really hard too because I know that this is a very common real life occurrence for a lot of young women, and it yeah. just really upsets me. Yeah, which is why, like, while people, while this did feel disgusting to read, and while I get why it's off putting for people, I do think material like this is so important because there are warning signs that you can see in your kid if stuff yeah. like this is happening. I mean, not to say that if you don't see those signs that, you know, you're somehow culpable or something for not noticing that something was happening to your kid, but like these things follow a pattern mm-hmm. a lot of the time. And so if there's if there's anything out there that can educate you on what that is, mm-hmm. I think that's while it's troubling, that's good information to have out there. Yeah, obviously. I felt the same thing reading Sloan's story mm. about her eating disorder, mm-hmm. that there yeah. there are all those yeah. signs there as well. And she says no one ever asked her about it. She's no one shocked. talked to her yeah. about it. I wanted to go into that because you guys have no idea how close to home her story hit well can i ask of the three of us have we all had eating disorders of some kind i certainly did i you didn't emma so two-thirds of I us i think my did. my only eating disorder was that i was embarrassed to eat in front of people but i yeah. always ate <laughs> mm-hmm. and what about you mariana oh big time big time yeah. i was well and i'm sure as a dancer it's like yeah i i was anorexic I was bulimic for many, many years. Um, oh wow! It was. It, it was. I mean, I'm, I'm at a very different. It? No, yeah, because I did want to. That's why it pisses me off. And I get it. Everybody has their own opinion. Everybody has their own perspective. But when you hear or, or read reviews about people who have read this book and say that this is something someone should not read knowing that oh. what these women are saying are so honest and so truthful and they're really getting so right. vulnerable they're getting to a place where a lot of other women or mothers of girls can really see and then yeah. can see like we're mentioning these red flags these signs you prefer to detach yourself from a situation that's too uncomfortable and i think mm-hmm, this is what totally. happened to Sloan's friends and Sloan's family, they just didn't want to see what was actually happening. Not to say my parents saw yeah. exactly what was happening and they were angels in the way that they fought with me through it. Mm-hmm. But I was in a <laughs> I was in a BFA program where I gained 30 pounds at the end of my freshman year, 30 pounds for my stature because of my bulimia. In what time period? We're talking about less than six months. What do you mean because of your bulimia? But the thing is, when I was bulimic, I, she was, when Sloan was saying that she wanted to create this persona and that she was very good at her bulimia, like I was very fascinated by the way that she was saying the way she went about it. For me, it was all about the control, but it was all about of like 
fuck everything. I'm done with the pressure. This is too much for me. I'm like crying out for help. And nobody, my friends, my roommates, my sweet mates, completely turned their turn their face. Faculty turned mm. their face. They didn't want to deal with the matter at hand. And so they knew, but they didn't want to deal with it. I had to actually go to the dean of the department and say, I'm I'm in trouble right now. Because my parents wow. didn't see me on a daily basis. I I right. I'm I can't I can't perform in the January explosion or whatever it was. I have to fly home because I can't deal with this anymore. So luckily Good I was strong you. enough to do that. But it was over years of this buildup yeah. because my my thing started with anorexia and then bulimia. But I could I remember coming back after my freshman year of of college over the summer and my parents were so strong about sending me back they they knew that i was already getting help but they knew the best thing for me was to kind of work through it and i went back and nobody ever acknowledged what was going on wow. nobody ever saw the difference not one person said something to me not one person said are you okay is there something mm. that i can help you with and that is so sad that people can physically see the hurt and the the physical yeah. manifestation of what this illness was. Oh, so you're saying you gained those 30 pounds because you had stopped the bulimia? No. I, or because you were so tiny? Because I was so tiny and then I was eating everything that I could. I was throwing it up, but it wasn't sufficient for me to throw everything up because I kept eating. Oh, my God. Yeah. So it was like going from anorexia and then going to bulimia thinking that that would work. My body couldn't handle that. Oh, my God. Oh. Yeah. Because people think that bulimia would be a diet. It's not necessarily a diet. Some systems can't. Because I was eating every... I would go to the camp... Uh, Fordham with Ailey. Their campus was at Lincoln Center. So the the dorm rooms were separate from the actual... Where all the classes took place. There were these vending machines that I would go in the middle of midnight. I would, like, eat... At, get as much of, like... The items within the vending machine and they go try to go throw up everything but there's there's only so much you can throw up so all the mm. calories i was putting in my body and then going to dance class the next morning and nobody wow. ever nobody ever said anything about it which is like that's why i think i have a very hard time with friendships and relationships because i'm like if you didn't see it then when i was literally crying out for help how could i trust you uh, now i mean i think I think also, though, because I know I've been guilty of stuff like that, too. And I think sometimes you think you're doing somebody a kindness by not bringing something up that you think might be right. hurtful. Yeah. Sorry, that oh. was a lot. No, I, I'm i kind of heartbroken that we didn't know that about you. That's a completely new story that I haven't I shared never heard. With, uh, outside of my parents and Andrew. Like that some people will know, but I haven't really fully gone into detail about how it was for me. I think me. you've dropped a little yeah. bit of it, but we've never really talked about it. Yeah. And, and that makes me sad, too, that I didn't. Because I think, like you said, you did. You dropped a little thing, but I didn't want to push I mean, it's the same, like when you were saying no one brought it up to you, I was thinking, you know, I had a friend that was really alcoholic and mm. I knew that that was coming from a place of deep unhappiness and a, a really dark place. And mm. I, I kept thinking to myself, I should probably talk to him about this and make sure he's okay. Mm. And I was so scared because I didn't want to embarrass him yeah. or like push him or, or make him turn away. That right. I didn't. And I think it's kind of the same parallel. I, I really wish, I mean, he's figured things out and he's okay, but like I really wish I had said something because he probably was also really like needing help and no one yeah, no one right. wanted to like bring that up to him. This issue of weight though, I think is really interesting and something I think about a lot 
how I I wonder, I'm curious about from your perspectives, you know, women constantly, like if we're on a diet or if you lose a lot of weight, we're like, oh, you look so good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I wonder if that does so much detriment to us because then it's it's saying, oh, well, you look so good because you've lost all this weight. Yeah. And then it puts this this whole mindset that you only look good if you look skinny. And it's – I'm sure that we're ruining women by this I, I from a young age. But at the same time, I've been working my ass off on this Peloton since Mariana <laughs> made me get one. <laughs> and, like, for me, it's really nice when Jason is, like, I can see it. Like, I can see your work. Yeah. Paying off. So it's I think it's a double edged sword. Cause like if he didn't if he didn't acknowledge that You'd I be upset. looks good. Oh girl, I'd be pissed. But the right. thing is he's right. he's seeing your work and effort and he's acknowledging the fact that you're doing something to make you feel good. That's and it's true. coming from strength. It's yes. not coming from just being skinny. Exactly. You're getting you're you're doing something good for fit. your body. Exactly. That's true. That's a good distinction to make. That's true. For me, the essence of where this came from, where my eating disorder came from, part of it was my grandmother, every time my mom's mom, every time she saw me, she judged how I looked depending how skinny or thick I was every single time. She used to talk about how big your boobs were. Exactly. Right. Mm -hmm. That plus being a dancer plus being a perfectionist, it was kind of inevitable. But I think with kind of like snapped everything into place or at least put me into like exactly what you're saying Emma I came back from a da- uh, summer dance program after my sophomore year uh, my junior year of high school came back for my senior year all my dance teachers that's when my anorexia really was a full full because they said you looked good they were like what did you do you look amazing and all of a sudden I mm. was the star dancer of my my senior class mm-hmm. I made arts that year like it was like I was one of four modern da- like it was like I was at the <sighs> pinnacle yeah, of my dance so career you were the example for everybody else of what this should look like and then on the flip side the pressure became too much to be the best that then I was like I'm gonna throw it all the way and I'm just gonna start stuffing my face so it was like it it was just <sighs> it, it started this downward spiral of really bad stuff and luckily I'm at a place where I'm like Thank God I went through all of that and I'm so much stronger because of it. But some people don't. I'm so proud of you. And I'm so impressed that you had the wherewithal to, or at least that you were in the headspace at the time where where you were able to know that you needed to ask for help. Yeah. Yeah, I but I feel both of you. I mean, you too, Brandy, like you also like I've noticed you you eat very little. And I say that because I and maybe that's my insecurities because I eat. I'll finish everything. And so sometimes when we go out to eat, the three of us, I I sometimes feel uncomfortable because I eat everything. And then compared to you two, I always feel like, oh, they probably think I'm such a. A pig. Do you know what I mean? Never at all. Interesting. It's so funny how. We both feel that. No. But I think I'm somewhere in between the two of you because I definitely, when you said, Emma, that you you struggled as a teenager with, like, eating in front of yeah. people, that's something I totally relate to. Mm-hmm. Even now, like, it took me a long time to get comfortable eating in front of Jason. Aww. And now, like, 
I'll pig out to no end in front, like no problem. My family, like, oh my God, I'll fuck up my mom's food. No problem. (laughs) But like in public with people, sometimes it does turn into that, like, I'm going to eat enough so that I'm not hungry, Mm. but I'm not going to finish everything because I don't want to be seen. Yeah eating like I just don't it's so crazy and like you feel that way with us too it's not conscious it's Mm -hmm. not a conscious thing in the moment it's Mm -hmm. a habit I mean just think with Jay I'm married to Jason Mm -hmm. it took years to get there years of eating with him multiple meals a day every day wow you know what I mean Mm -hmm. like we've been out to dinner like you know 20 30 times the three of us probably for long periods of time but like not even yeah it's taken me years. years with Jason. I've had a lifetime with my family. Yeah. And what's weird about it is that, like, it's not about weight for me. It's not about, like, feeling like I'm going to per- be perceived as, like, a pig or something. Mm. For me, it's about weakness, which is weird. Food and, like, ingesting food or, like, nourishment is weak. You said that on an episode that you cut, you know, that you would like not let yourself eat or drink. Yeah. Which I thought right. was fascinating. Yeah. It's it and so to to eat with people or to be seen to be eating just feels like if you're doing that then you're not it sounds so stupid but like you're not watching. Mhm. It's we'll get so past weird. it, ladies. We'll get through it. <laughs> but I love it that we're being so honest about it. I I love it. Yeah. And it's interesting how mm. how different. Mm. All of our, even if, you know, both of us, Mariana, can say we've had eating disorders to some degree, it's interesting how different the psychology behind those things is. And I have to say how different the psychology is from Sloan's as well. Because for Sloan, part of it seems like it's about what her mom says to her, which Mm -hmm. is like, I think you'll be more comfortable if you lose weight, which is such a weird thing to say. Ten-year-old, a diet, diet pills. As it's ten-year-old. It's terrible, but you also have to look at Sloane's mom's terrible mom. Right. And it's passed down. Yeah. Their upbringing. Terrible, but that's where it comes from. What I think is so ironic is that Sloane talks about having bulimia, but now she owns a restaurant and she's in love with food. And the way that she talks about food, I think that journey is so fascinating. Especially since so much of it seems to be like this ritual around food, the way it's presented, Uh the servers in the restaurant. Like it's a whole experience. Experience. It's not even just the food. It's everything. Mm -hmm. Which I think she's... she. She did this, I mean, I can't speak for her, but I imagine her doing this in a way to fight or combat like what she went through or what she did to herself as a young Mm. person. Now she's, this is the way to get through that, to be able to actually Mm. experience food for what it is and for the richness that it brings to you and the nutrients that it brings to you and how that could Mm. be and actually a wonderful experience as opposed to being something that like she's controlling. I mean, there's still a sense of control because she's controlling the whole art of it, but Mm -hmm. it's a different way of seeing it. There also though with her, and I wonder if you guys have read it this way too, there seems to be something really sexual wrapped up with food. Like with, I feel that because I feel that for myself. (laughs) Yeah. Oh yeah. (laughs) Totally. Based on your final question last week, (laughs) I think we know. Yeah, we know. We know. I mean, a good brisket will make me rub my nipples. Like, <laughs> don't get me started. I get oh, it. Oh, dear God. <laughs> yeah, but just with her and Richard making those matzo balls together. And then 
when she's on that date before she and Richard meet and she's just going on about that fish. The sea bass. Mm-hmm. It's almost I love Yeah, it's that. like almost orgasmic yeah. that scene at that table yeah. where she just won't stop saying like, "Oh, this fucking fish." Yeah. It just seems like food and sex have gotten all wrapped up for her. I mean, have you ever eaten something that made you want to cry? It was so good. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's I mean, I do. I think there is something just really special about food in in the history of it, you know? Like food mm-hmm. is how we nourish ourselves. It's how you how you show love and um support and life, yeah. you know? Like you're and you're breaking feeding. bread together. Mm-hmm. Like you, yeah. it's a communal mm-hmm. thing. It's why I don't know about you two, but like the first time Ricardo made me a meal, I was like it, it, it just like does something to you, you know. What like did he's he make feeding you? me. Do you he's remember? Feeding you. <laughs> all right, all right. You know. <laughs> I think there's something really nice in that. So, ladies. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think the three of us have ever talked about this in our epic happy hours. So, how old were you two? And I'm going to answer this as well. When you lost your virginity. And what is one word that would describe that experience? Okay. <laughs> okay, Mariana. Okay. Mm-hmm. I was 18 and I would say naive. Ooh. I was 18 or 19. I actually can't remember college. And the word I would use is funny. <laughs> this is pretty interesting so i was 18 (laughs) ah it was prom night of course i did i think i mentioned i proposed i did a prom night yeah (laughs) because i live by traditions whatever (laughs) um and i would describe it as uncomfortable Mm. naive Funny and uncomfortable. <laughs> Put them all well, together. <laughs> what do you got? And, and you get three women. Hey. <laughs> we'll have to unpack those stories on another episode. Okay. All right, women. Thank you all so much for listening. A big thank you to Jimmy Fontanez and Meteorite Productions, as well as Text Me Records for our music. Huge announcement. Oh. We've decided which female-centric charity we are donating to by the end of this month. Well, the end of 2020. This year. <laughs> yeah. For every review we receive, we will each donate a dollar to the small but mighty Putnam Northern Westchester Women's Resource Center that helps women suffering from domestic violence in the state of New York. Yes, let's raise that money. Next week, we'll be reading up until page 232 in the hard copy of the book. That's between chapters Lena and Maggie. Make sure you're following us at Are These Books Drunk on Instagram for more information on the charity we've chosen and to keep up with next week's cocktail pairing so that you can read along and sip along with us. Because it's always always happy happy hour. Yeah. I'm toasted. I don't know. I don't I shouldn't have asked for this third cocktail. <laughs> like, drink I know. Ciao lady. Bye. Bye.